Chapter Ten of Chip of the Flying U. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marty. Chip of the Flying U by B. M. Bauer. What Wizard Did. I guess Happy lost some of his horses last night, said Slim at the breakfast table next morning. Slim had been kept at the ranch to look after the fences and the ditches, and was doing full justice to the expert cookery of the Countess. What makes you think that? The old man poised a bit of tender, broiled steak upon the end of his fork. Uh, there's a bunch hanging around the upper fence, and wizards among them. I know that long-legged snake ten miles away. The little doctor looked up quickly. She had never before heard of a long-legged snake. But then she had not yet made the acquaintance of Whizzer. Well, maybe you better run him into the corral and hold him till Shorty sends someone after him, suggested the old man. I never could run him in alone, not with Whizzer in the bunch, objected Slim. He's the ornerest Cayuse in Chow-Tow County. Wizard'll make a rattling good saddle horse some day when he's broke gentle, argued the old man. Huh. I don't envy Chip the job of breaking him, though, grunted Slim as he went out of the door. After breakfast, the little doctor visited Silver and fed him his customary ration of lump sugar, helped the Countess tidy the house, and then found herself at a loss for something to do. She stood looking out into the hazy sunlight, which lay warm on hill and coolie. "'I think I'll go up above the grade and make a sketch of the ranch,' she said to the countess, and hastily collected her materials. Down by the creek, a cottontail sprang out of her way and kicked itself out of sight beneath a boulder. The little doctor stood and watched till he disappeared before going on again. Further up the bluff, a striped snake gave her a shivery surprise before he glided sinuously away under a sagebrush. She crossed the grade and climbed the steep bluff beyond, searching for a comfortable place to work. A little higher, she took possession of a great gray boulder, jutting like a giant table from the gravelly soil. She walked out upon it and looked down, a sheer drop of ten or twelve feet to the barren yellow slope below. I suppose it's perfectly solid, she soliloquized and stamped one stout little boot to see if the rock would tremble. If human emotions are possible to a heart of stone, the rock must have been greatly amused at the test. It stood firm as the hills around it. Della sat down and looked below at the house, a doll's house, at the toy corrals and tiny sheds and stables. Slim, Walking down the hill was a mere pygmy, a short, waddling insect, at least to a girl unused to gazing from a height. Each object seemed absurdly small. Flying you coolly stretched away to the west, with a silver ribbon drawn carelessly through it, with many a twist and loop, fringed with a tender green of young leaves. Away and beyond stood the bear paws, hazily blue, with splotches of purple shadows. I don't blame J.G. for loving this place, thought the little doctor, 
drinking in the intoxication of the West with every breath she drew. She had just become absorbed in her work when a clatter arose from the grade below, and a dozen horses, headed by a tall, rangy sorrel she surmised was Whizzer, dashed down the hill. Weary and Chip galloped close behind. They did not look up, so passed without seeing her. They were talking and laughing in very good spirits, which the little doctor resented for some inexplicable reason. She heard them call to Slim to open the corral gate, and saw Slim run to do their bidding. She forgot her sketching and watched the wizard dodge and bolt back, and Chip tear through the creek bed after him at peril of life and limb. Back and forth, round and round went Whizzer, running almost through the corral gate, then swerving suddenly and evading his pursuers with an ease which bordered closely on the marvelous. Slim saddled a horse and joined in the chase, and the old man climbed upon the fence and shouted advice which no one heard and would not have heeded if they had. As the chase grew in earnestness and excitement, the sympathies of the little doctor were giving unreservedly to Whizzer. Whenever a particularly clever maneuver of his set the men to swearing, she clapped her hands in sincere and unheard and unappreciated applause. "'Good boy!' she cried approvingly when he dodged Chip and whirled through the big gate which the old man had unwittingly left open. J.G. leaned perilously forward and shook his fists unavailingly. Wizard tossed head and heels alternately and scurried up the path to the very door of the kitchen, where he swung round and looked back down the hill, snorting triumph. "'Shoo there!' shrilled the countess, shaking her dish-towel at him. <laughs> snorted he disdainfully and trotted leisurely round the corner. Chipped galloped up the hill, his horse running heavily. After him came Weary, liberally applying quirt and mild invective. At the house they parted and headed the fugitive toward the stables. He shot through the big gate, lifting his heels viciously at the old man as he passed, whirled round the stable and trotted haughtily past Slim into the corral of his own accord, quite as if he had meant to do so all along. "'Did you ever?' exclaimed the little doctor, disgustedly from her perch. "'Wizzer, I'm ashamed of you. I wouldn't have given up like that. But you gave them a chase, didn't you, my beauty?' The boys flung themselves off their tired horses and went up to the house to beg the countess for a lunch, and Della turned resolutely to her sketching again. She was just beginning to forget that the world held aught but soft shadows, mellow glow and hazy perspective, when a subdued uproar reached her from below. She drew an uncertain line or two, frowned, and laid her pencil resignedly in her lap. It's of no use. I can't do a thing till those cowpunchers take themselves and their broncos off the ranch, and may it be soon, she told herself disconsolately and not over-sincerely. The best of us are not above trying to pull the wool over our own eyes at times. In reality, their brief presence made the near future seem very flat and insipid to the little doctor. It was washing all the color out of the picture and leaving it a dirty gray. She gazed moodily down at the whirl of dust in the corral, where Whizzer was struggling to free himself from the loop Chip had thrown with his accustomed calm precision. Whatever Chip did, he did thoroughly, with no slurring of detail. Whizzer was fain to own himself fairly caught. Oh, he's got you fast, my beauty, 
sighed the little doctor woefully. Why didn't you jump over the fence? I think you could, and run, run to freedom. She grew quite melodramatic over the humiliation of the horse she had chosen to champion, and glared resentfully when Chip threw his saddle, with no gentle hand, upon the sleek back and tightened the cinches with a few strong, relentless yanks. Chip, you're an ugly, mean-tempered, that's right, wizard, kick him if you can, I'll stand by you. This assertion, you understand, was purely figurative. The little doctor would have hesitated long before attempting to carry it out literally. Now, wizard, when he tries to ride you, don't you let him throw him clear over the stable. So there. Perhaps Whizzer understood the command in some mysterious telepathic manner. At any rate, he set himself straight away to obey it, and there was not a shadow of doubt but that he did his best. But Chip did not choose to go over the stable. Instead of doing so, he remained in the saddle and changed ends with his quirt, to the intense rage of the little doctor, who nearly cried. Oh, you brute! You fiend! I'll never speak to you again as long as I live! Oh, wizard, you poor fellow! Why do you let him abuse you so? Why don't you throw him clean off the ranch? This is exactly what Wizard was trying his best to do, and Wizard's best was exceedingly bad for his rider, as a general thing. But Chip calmly refused to be thrown, and Wizard, who was no fool, suddenly changed his tactics and became so meek that his champion on the bluff felt tempted to despise him for such servile submission to a tyrant in brown chaps and gray hat. I am transcribing the facts according to the little doctor's interpretation. She watched gloomily while Whizzer, in whose brain lurked no thought of submission, galloped steadily along behind the bunch which Slim made haste to liberate and bided his time. She had expected better, rather worse, of him than that. She had not dreamed he would surrender so tamely. As they crossed the hog's back and climbed the steep grade just below her, she eyed him reproachfully and said again, Whizzer, I'm ashamed of you. It certainly did seem that Whizzer heard and felt the pricking of pride at the reproof. He made a feint at being frightened by a jackrabbit, which sprang out from the shade of a rock and bounced down the hill like a rubber ball, as if Whizzer had never seen a jackrabbit before, he who had been born and reared upon the range among them. It was a feeble excuse at best, but he made the most of it and lost no time seeking a better. He stopped short, sidled against Weary's horse and snorted. Chip, in none the best humor with him, jerked the reins savagely and dug him with his spurs, and Whizzer, resenting the affront, whirled and bounded high in the air. Back down the grade he bucked with the high, rocking, crooked jumps which none but a western cayuse can make, while Weary turned in his saddle and watched with sharp-drawn breaths. There was nothing else he could do. Chip was by no means passive, for every jump that Whizzer made, the rawhide quirt landed across his flaring nostrils and the locked rowels of Chip's spurs raked the sorrel sides from cinch to flank, leaving crimson streams behind them. Wild with rage at this clinging cowpuncher whom he could not dislodge, 
who stung his sides and head like the hornets in the meadow. Wizard gathered himself for a mighty leap as he reached the hog's back. Like a wire spring released, he shot into the air, shook himself in one last desperate hope of victory, and, failing, came down with not a joint in his legs and turned a somersault. A moment, and he struggled to his feet and limped painfully away, crushed and beaten in spirit. Chip did not struggle. He lay, a long length of brown chaps, pink and white shirt and gray hat, just where he had fallen. The little doctor never could remember getting down that bluff, and her sketching materials went to amuse the jackrabbits and the birds. Fast as she flew, Weary was before her and had raised Chip's head upon one arm. She knelt beside him in the dust, hovering over the white face and still form like a pitying little gray angel. Weary looked at her impersonally, but neither of them spoke in those first breathless moments. The old man, who witnessed the accident, came puffing laboriously up the hill, taking the short cut straight across from the stable. "'Is he dead?' he yelled while he scrambled. Weary turned his head long enough to look down at him, with the same impersonal gaze he had bestowed upon the little doctor. But he did not answer the question. He could not, for he did not know. The little doctor seemed not to have heard. The old man redoubled his exertions and reached them very much out of breath. Is he dead, Dell? He repeated in an awestruck tone. He feared she would say yes. The little doctor had taken possession of the brown head. She looked up at her brother, a very unprofessional pallor upon her face, and down at the long brown lashes and at the curved, sensitive lips which held no hint of red. She pressed the face closer to her breast and shook her head. She could not speak just then, for the gripping ache that was in her throat. One of the best men on the ranch gone under. Just when we need help the worst, complained the old man. Is he hurt bad? J.G., began the little doctor in a voice all the fiercer for being suppressed. I want you to kill that horse. Do you hear? If you don't do it, I will. You won't have to if old Splinter goes down and out, said Weary with quiet meaning, and the little doctor gave him a grateful flash of gray eyes. How bad is he hurt? repeated the old man impatiently. You're supposed to be a doctor, don't you know? He has a scalp wound which does not seem serious, she said in an attempt to be matter of a fact, and his left collarbone is broken. Doggone it! A broken collarbone ain't mended overnight. No, acquiesced the little doctor, it isn't. These last two remarks Chip heard. He opened his eyes and looked straight up into the gray ones above. A long, questioning, rebellious look. He tried then to rise, to free himself from the bitter ecstasy of those soft, enfolding arms. Only a broken collarbone. Good thing it was no worse. Ugh! A spasm of pain contracted his features and drew beads of moisture to his forehead. The spurned arms once more felt the dead weight of him. What is it? The little doctor's voice called to him from afar. Must he answer? He wanted to drift on and on. Can you tell me where the pain is? Pain? Oh, yes, there had been pain. But he wanted to drift. He opened his eyes again reluctantly, again 
The pain clutched him. It's my foot. For the first time, the eyes of the little doctor left his face and traveled downward to the spurred boots. One was twisted in a horrible, unnatural position that told the agonizing truth. A badly dislocated ankle. They returned quickly to the face and swam full of blinding tears, such as a doctor should not succumb to. He was not drifting into oblivion now. His teeth were not digging into his lower lip for nothing, she knew. Weary, she said, forgetting to call him properly by name. Ride to the house and get my medicine case, the little black one, the countess knows, and have Slim bring something to carry him home on, and ride. Weary was gone before she had finished, and he certainly rode. You'll have another crippled cowpuncher on your hands, first thing you know, grumbled the old man, anxiously as he watched Weary race recklessly down the hill. The little doctor did not answer. She scarcely heard him. She was stroking the hair back from Chip's forehead softly, unconsciously, wondering why she had never noticed the wave in it. But then she had scarcely seen him with his hat off. How silky and soft it felt. And she had called him all sorts of mean names, and had wanted Wizard to— She shuddered and turned sick at the memory of the thud when they struck the hard road together. Dell exclaimed the old man. Your white's a rag. Doggone it, don't throw up your hands at your first case. Brace up. Chip looked up at her curiously, forgetting the pain long enough to wonder at her whiteness. She did have a heart then, or was it a feminine trait to turn pale in every emergency? She had not turned so very white when those kids... He felt inclined to laugh, only for that cussed foot. Instead, he relaxed his vigilance and a groan slipped out before he knew. "'Just a minute more, and I'll ease the pain for you,' murmured the girl compassionately. "'All right. So long as you don't use the stomach pump,' he retorted with a miserable makeshift of a laugh. "'What's that?' asked the old man, but no one explained. The little doctor was struggling with the lump in her throat that he should try to joke about it. Then Weary was back and holding the little black case out to her. She seized it eagerly, slipping Chip's head to her knees that she might use her hands freely. There was no halting over the tiny vials, for she had decided just what she must do. She laid something against Chip's closed lips. Swallow these, she said, and he obeyed her. Weary, oh, you knew what to do, I see. There, lay the coat down for the pillow. Relieved of her burden, she rose and went to the poor, twisted foot. Weary and the old man watched her go to work systematically and disclosed the swollen, purpling ankle. Very gently she did it, and when she had administered a merciful anesthetic, the enthusiasm of the old man demanded speech. Well, I'll be eternally doggone. You're on to your job, Dell. Doggone if you ain't. I won't ever josh you again about your doctoring. I wish you'd have been around the time I smashed my ankle, commented Weary, fishing for his cigarette book. He was beginning to feel the need of a quieting smoke. They hauled me forty miles to Benton. That must have been torture, shuddered the little doctor. A dislocated ankle is a most agonizing thing. Yes, 
assented Weary, striking a match. It sure is all right. End of chapter 10 Recording by Marty